Shut up and sit down. this um this stage in um my writing process where I go and read a whole bunch of my old work and um <clears throat> I do this periodically and I I I pick something that I I wrote um back in uh 2008 or 9 and uh something that's not published on my site it's a um a work in progress that I abandoned um because it just wasn't clicking in my head and um it just it just wasn't clicking and um I at the time I really didn't understand why and so I was reading it today and I I was just deeply appalled at myself and the thing is it was in the sentinel fandom and i abandoned i i had a problem with the sentinel fandom and i've discussed that in the past at length so i won't go into it again um needless to say um i well for those of you who don't know i um wrote a novel for the for um in, in set in the sentinel fandom called the awakening and it was my um, first uh, Sentinel fic, and um, I was writing in the Stargate fandom at the time, and it was very well received by a lot of people. It was also received badly by a subsection of the fandom because I didn't play into those stereotypes of Blair being a girl with a dick. You know, the whiny, crybaby, can't-defend-himself Blair. I didn't go that route, and apparently that was just inappropriate. And I won an award. And that pissed some people off. Um, And I was told by a big-name fan in the fandom that I ruined... I literally ruined the last year of the Light My Fire Awards because I won... um, something and um an award they said I should not have won um for that fic because it didn't um adhere to the established get this it didn't adhere to the established fandom lore concerning the character of Blair Sandberg right so I was like okay fuck all that and um at the time I didn't know the double birds so they also, so they only got one bird now they get now they can have two they can have two birds now um and so I was talking um it had come up because Julie had uh, talked um had talked about um a a topic for a future show and how yeah I ruined it um i uh about um how you can be kind of infected with bad ideas in in fandom um and this particular fix that I picked up was and if you read my work and you listen to my podcast, you know one of my biggest issues in um 
in fandom is consent and the lack thereof. Uh, one of the biggest problems, I think, in um, Sentinels or Known Universe um, is that whole slave guide thing that happened in um, the Sentinel fandom. And it's just disgusting. It, it is It is literally disgusting to me. And... <sighs> I was reading this story that I had I had stalled out on, and I couldn't figure out why I had it installed out on it at the time, and I just let it go and moved on. Well, I was reading it today, and I realized that there was an undercurrent of crap that I had absorbed in the Sentinel fandom in it. Um, and while there was overt verbal consent, the world building itself didn't lend itself to consensual relationships. And I was just like, oh my God, Kara, look at that shit you wrote. And I was just, I wanted, I was so offended, I wanted to delete it from my hard drive. And I don't actually delete my own work um, well, like that. Um, I'll just put it in a folder. Uh, so I did put it in a folder. Um, I labeled it, oh my God, what the fuck? And then I put that story in it. Because I didn't, I was just like, mm-hmm. I don't even, I don't even know where, because what it boiled down to was that um, Sentinels and Guides were faded pairs, um, and bonding was automatically sexual, uh, and there was never any question of it, um, and that that it was going to be sexual and that sex was going to happen and this was just the way it it was and it was very um like a, like a overtly they were saying yes this is great I want this but underneath in the world building it was not good it was not good um it uh it just it really and that that's the thing about fandom tropes and um infectious ideas um and and it it's it can really kind of invade your thought process and not even you, you won't even really know uh on top that you're doing it you know, because the thing is, is consent is very important to me, and I would never write, I would never knowingly on purpose write something um, so fundamentally terrible as a slave AU. And uh, I, I know there are plenty of people out there who write slave AUs, and you know what, that you do you, but don't don't ever expect me to find it anything less than disgusting because it's disgusting. Uh, and it's never not going to be disgusting. And there is no such thing as consent um, in a slave in, in a slave's life. A slave is is incapable of, of giving consent. So when you write sex between, and it isn't even sex. When you write intercourse between an owner and a slave, it's rape because a slave can't give consent. They don't even own themselves. How can they give consent? And so I was just, I was really floored by the undercurrent.
that seems physically impossible. I was really floored by the um, undercurrent in in the story, and I, and I realized that I had gotten it from reading other Sentinel fix. And I always avoided those slave AUs, but there is an undercurrent in a lot of Sentinel fix that. Um, kind of destroys it it's I'm having a hard time articulating this. It because like I said, you know, on top there was consent. But in the world building, um, it was clear that it didn't matter if there was consent. Because this is going to happen, this, this, and this. This is your guide. You get to fuck them. And it was just like, I, 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 what did I write? What, what is that? Why did that happen? Um, and, it, and, and, and it boils down to the infectious nature of, of tropes and ideas in fandom. Um, I remember as you're talking about uh, the birth of, um, was it Slave AUs or, or, or something? She was in a, a Yahoo group. Um, and then there was there was one slave story, and then within a week there were like ten slave stories, or something like that. It was you know the the concept exploded. You know there was one, then there was ten, then there was twenty. You know, and it's just like how does that you know how does that happen? And and it's and it becomes like a hive mind situation in in fandom, and that that's how you get three hundred time travel stories about Harry Potter going shopping. <laughs> Um, but it's also how you end up getting um, Sentinel AUs where um, the consent line is, is profoundly blurred and, and it becomes this, this ugly thing. Um, um, and yes, Harry does need all the things. Harry needs all the shopping. Um, I was so disgusted by what I read that I'm never going to open it again. I mean, I don't even want to keep it on my... I might actually end up deleting the whole thing because it was just so... The undercurrent, and like I said, on top, it looked... Everything looked really consensual. But the world building itself is so deeply flawed. And it's more than just it. No, no, it's not even peer pressure. It's um, it's like an infection. It, it um, I didn't bow to pressure to write that particular story. I had just read so many Sentinel Guide stories where this happened that it became normal. That's like I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a challenge. If you haven't read Ties That Bind in about six months to a year, go to the page, skip all the first stories, and read A Lovely Agony. Because I did that. I had not read Ties at Bind in about a year and a half, and I was preparing to finish the North Star. And I thought I would start with a lovely agony because it seemed like a good place to start without having to back all the way up. Um, and here's the thing about Ties at Bind. Um, as harsh as the first novella is, it does build up. 
there, um, um, there is a momentum in the story where um, it goes from flogging to 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 more hardcore um, issues in the dynamic that they share. But if you haven't read Ties That Bind in a year, year and a half, and six, even six months, and you go into a lovely agony, which, which has um, the blood play and and John demonstrating a severe amount of uh, sadism, it can be shocking. And I think that's what happens in in um, in a larger scale when when it comes to to tropes um, with with terrible undercurrents is that you get used to it and and you become desensitized to how harsh the reality is and so you you have this immunity built up in your brain and then like I said I had not opened that story in eight years and within like three or four pages of this 30 page document I'm thinking to myself what the fuck is wrong with you why did you did, did I wasn't even honestly sure it was my work I was like is this mine I, I, I closed it and checked the metadata to make sure it was actually mine I thought maybe I had copied and pasted something off somewhere, you know, to keep. No, it was mine. It was all mine. I was... And like I said, it it wasn't overt. On top of the narrative, everything looked profoundly consensual. But underneath, in the gut of it, there was this assumption of the line the line that broke me is that Blair is giving a Blair is a consultant and he's come into Cascade to give a series of lectures on uh, criminal profiling and he and he and he meets Jim and they bond um, uh, as Sentinel and Guide, it was kind of spontaneous, um, and that's fine. That that wasn't an issue. Um, they're both 100% on board with it, and there was even an issue in the past where where Blair had rejected Sentinels, so that wasn't a problem. The actual bonding process and meeting a Sentinel, I mean, you didn't have to bond with a certain Sentinel if you didn't want to. That was fine. That was consensual. Here's what happens. I am reading this, and I'm, and I'm getting uncomfortable, and I'm not entirely sure why. And then I come across a scene where Blair was talking to a group of guides, and he says during his lecture that it is never, ever okay for a guide to deny their sentinel bonding. Which would have been, on the surface, a little hinky if in the paragraph before he hadn't said that bonding was always sexual. And I was like, oh, God, did I write this? What the fuck is wrong with me? Oh, my God. I was, I was, I, I was so deeply offended by myself that my scalp tingled. It's my story, Barb, and it's never appeared anywhere in public, and it never fucking will. Um, I was just like, now, yes, I could go in and edit all that crap out, and it, honestly, it, it wouldn't be but like maybe 10 or 15 sentences total in the whole thing that make it this deep, ugly, terrible thing, um, but I won't. I, 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 I'm not even sure I'll be able to keep it. Um, it was, I was just like, 
I was so offended by myself that my scalp was tingling and my eyes got watery and I was like, what the fuck did I write? And where did this come from? So Jillian was online. And I told her about it, and she was talking about how, um, you know, how certain concepts in fandom can be infectious, and um, um, these ideas can get uh, can get in your brain, and you not even really be aware of it. Because I know myself, and even you know, in two thousand eight, I would not have overtly written, um, "Don't write rape. I don't read rape. I um, am profoundly opposed." to um, slave AUs, and yet the undercurrent of this story was that. Oh, good Lord. I can't read a thing you just said. I'm going to highlight it. Would I ever write on the signal thick? Absolutely. I, I have a couple of works in progress that I, that, um, that I noodle with. Um, it... Uh, <laughs> I don't, um, I think they get it, you guys. We don't need to all say it. <laughs> but I, um, <laughs> it, you know, I I grew up reading Bodice Rippers and, and stuff like that. I, I had an epiphany around 15 or 16 where I realized I was not reading, um, consent i was I, I was not reading consensual things and i was like what the fuck is this what am i reading why am i reading this shit oh my god and i had a big fit and my mom was like what are you talking about i said like, what do you mean she doesn't get to know what's best for her what is this shit and I, I i told her to read it i was like how come she doesn't get to decide whether or not she wants to consummate that marriage she gets a choice too, right? And my mom was like, well, not in 15th century Scotland. She didn't. I was like, well, I'm not reading any more of that shit. <laughs> and don't get me started on Jude Devereaux. I used to love the fuck out of Jude Devereaux. My goodness. My goodness, Jude. I'm sure it's period accurate. I'm sure it's period accurate. But, mm-mm. Mm-mm. I didn't even know what I was reading. But then I was also talking about how I didn't know what I was reading when the first time I read Clan of the Cave Bear either. I had no idea what I was reading when I read Clan of the Cave Bear. Um, damn. Clan of the Cave Bear is, an, is, is, is nightmarish. But I didn't realize that at the time. I had no clue. That's that's one of the books in that series that I do not ever reread. I usually start with Valley of the Horses. Um, because as an adult, and I read Clan of the Cave Bear when I was like 11 or 12, which I know it was ridiculous, right? Um, I had no idea what I was reading. None. I'm not even sure I realized it was, um, that there was sexual organ contact going on. On the, um, the first time I read it, I didn't recognize it for what it was as rape, but I also didn't recognize that she was actually that there was penetration going on. I don't think I got it. Well, yeah, or her age. She was very, very young. I, I, I didn't, I didn't get it. 
And I'm really glad I didn't get it at the time. Um, but I'll, I'll never read it again. <clears throat> so I usually start with Valley of the Horses when I read um, Children of the Earth because... Uh, yeah, I read that book, Barb. Yeah. I read that book. <laughs> Didn't realize it. Uh, you know, when, when, so, you know when, when when I was looking, I was looking at this work, and I got so disgruntled with myself that I didn't read anything more from that folder because I didn't want to know how bad um, um, the infection was because, like I said, the only project I've ever really finished that's pure Sentinel um, is the Awakening, and um, and it, and now I'm afraid to read the Awakening again. <laughs> is there stuff in there that I didn't realize was in there? I mean. As a matter of fact, I was on my new fandom Reddit today. <laughs> I um I'm I'm pretty sure there isn't either. Um, cause I'm cause, cause, considering how vocal I am about consent issues, I think if there were consent issues in the Awakening, some asshole would have already emailed me and let me know. <laughs> but I, you know, and like I said, it, it it was really it was subversive. It, it was very subversive, and um, um, I I guess you really don't know um how tropes and um fandom headcanon can can invade you when you're in it because at the point when i was writing those um i was trying to find my space um to write a sentinel story i had read a lot of sentinel works i had um, stumbled across some terrible things and exited out really really quick um And I, I just, I really didn't recognize it for what it was. But it does explain why that project never went anywhere. Um, even if I wasn't um, conceptually aware of why it was, it was falling apart on me, it was definitely falling apart on me, you know. Because, and this is really interesting, there's no sex in that story. There's not a single sex scene. In fact, on all the bonding sex scenes between Jim and Blair, I've made a note to write the sex and didn't write the sex. So it's very curious. And um, it's a, I don't even... But then I, I abandoned that particular story and another one um, uh, with a different concept. Um... And started the awakening, and that's the one that ended up getting um, to completion. 
um, it's just it's very curious how tropes and um, can can really just dig into your brain and you not even realize it. And I, um, in fact, in my um, in a Harry Potter story that I've actually finished that I'm that I've not published because I'm. I'm weird about it. There, there's something wrong there, and I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with it. And what I realized what was wrong with it is that I was that I keep um, getting mentally roped into um, particular tropes in the Harry Potter fandom, and it kind of invaded um, the story when it's not relevant to the story that I wanted to tell. I think, you know, historical romances that are written today are often a great deal different than what you've seen in the 80s and 90s um, um, as it involves consent issues um, because it's really hard to sell um, if, you know, it's hard to sell. So publishers got wise to that and started, you know, drifting away from that from that particular box um that required historical accuracy when it came to certain aspects of relationships um for instance you know um in the 80s and 90s it would be absolutely nothing for you to see a 14 year old heroine um in a scottish romance because that was the period um of time that 14 15 i mean that was normal for the time period Right um, now, you wouldn't see that in a modern historical in a in historical romance published today. You would not see an underage heroine under most circumstances. They're going to insist that the heroine at least be eighteen, um, and that the you know because otherwise it's pedophilia. <laughs> and romance publishers don't want to be accused of 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 um, publishing pedophilia. Uh, <clears throat> but some of those books written in the 80s and 90s where the hero is 30 and the, and the heroine is 14, 15, if we're lucky, you know? And, and oh, oh. I remember um, having this discussion about um, ages in um in in books and I was in a writing group and um the, the the heroine of this woman's book was 15 and I was saying you need to change the the age and you know make her an adult um and she said well that wouldn't be historically accurate I said well your hero is 32 historically speaking he'd be dead in four years anyway so now you're setting your poor 15 year old um, heroine up to be a widow <laughs> so you go right ahead historically accurate are you going to end the book with his death or is that just be like a prologue <laughs> needless to say um, she stopped sharing her work with me <laughs> I don't know why I try to be you know supportive 
But, um, okay, so twist on fandom tropes. Um, my idea for this podcast was to talk about um, tropes and kind of, you know, kind of twist them around and, and move them and um, and ex- ex- explore them differently. Uh, so I guess that's what I'm going to do with the last hour and a half of the show. Um, um, but uh, I have misplaced my trope list. I have a couple of um, listed in the in the description. Uh, when we talk about uh, time travel, it's almost always Harry Potter. Although I really enjoyed the time travel one I did for um, Stargate. But you know what? That would be really interesting. Normally, it's always the hero time traveling. It might be fun if the bad guy did the time traveling. <laughs> fun in a terrible way. I mean, it'd be terrible. I guess. I guess also, Darkly Lowell is is, um, is kind of that way based on perspective. Um, in that, um, I send uh, three people back in time who turn out to be dark as fuck, uh, and they just kill everybody who gets in their way. Um, but like. You know, I mean, wouldn't it be, like, really interesting if Lucius Malfoy traveled back in time? Or, you know, I, I've seen ones where Narcissa goes back in time because she's really unhappy with how everything um, um, shook, shook out. That's really interesting. Um, it would be really fun to have Minerva do the time traveling. Yeah, in canon, um, there is plenty of um, time traveling in Stargate. Um, SG-1 does it um, more than once. Uh, um, uh, Elizabeth does it. Uh, John does it. Um, I think Minerva would be fun to send back in time. Uh, I read a fan theory once where... uh, where Ron went back in time and he was actually Dumbledore. And if you and if you follow that through, it makes a lot of sense as to why Dumbledore was so shitty to Harry. How the hell did Vernon go back in time? <laughs> That happened. <laughs> I think that um that uh people uh write time traveling um for the for the sole purpose of fixing fixing the things that they don't like about canon. Fixing Harry's upbringing, fixing um um Harry's uh um life and making things better for Harry. Um, but wouldn't it be really amusing if, like, someone went back in time to make Harry more miserable? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't want to read it because, oh, that, that, that'd be so terrible. <laughs> but, <clears throat> uh, I read a really interesting time travel one once where Harry came back in time um, and he took uh, place at, at um at Hogwarts, um through I guess through uh, a glamour or through um um polyjuice, 
um, because things ended so badly. Um, and he, uh, he helps set things right. Um, and the Harry Potter, the, the young Harry Potter ends up with Jenny, but the older Harry Potter ends up with Hermione. I don't know if I'd want to read one where Luna raises Tom Riddle. <laughs> I read one too where Harry kept getting sent back in time because he because um, they couldn't control him, um, and they kept sending him back to start over because he kept breaking free of their control. Well, if anybody could raise a dark lord with a just cause, it would be Luna. I have several time travel fixes that, that I play with that I've, I've never really worked all the way through. Yeah, it does, that's the important part. Did he keep his nose? Because... The nose is important. Um, so, you know. <clears throat> Doubting Thomas. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh. Do the Nargles go to school with him? Because I hope so. Although forevermore, my favorite, um, favorite crack fic in Harry Potter is the one where Voldemort gets turned into a footstool, who falls in love with Harry's new trunk. So, but okay. Um, uh, I, I always find it really interesting when when people do independent Harry that um, they never did anybody more interesting than Harry, like independent Neville. What if Neville just woke up one day and said, you know what? Fuck all this shit. What? What the fuck? <laughs> this is just... No. <laughs> I'm going to fix all this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> just, you know, just fuck it all up. And make his dragon new hat. <laughs> Just take everything off the table. Nope, nope, not doing that, not doing that. Nope, nope. You're just the headmaster of my school. You can't boss me around. Harry's going to live with me. You're not even his guardian. Shut up. (laughs) What? No. Shut up. (laughs) 
It'd be a lot of fun. But they always do like Snape, or sometimes it's Hermione, or you know, um, going back in time and fixing stuff. And um, but Luna's pretty interesting. Um, Yeah, for always, I just said in the chat room that when Tony leaves NCIS, it's always because of something drastic, that he never just gets a better offer, that um, he never just says, you know what, I, I'm going to do something else. I'm, you know, what? No, I'm done. Um, he, you know, he people always talk about Tony getting offers work for the FBI, for Homeland Security, but they never follow through with it. It's always... Um, He's uh, gotten hurt on the job, or he's been betrayed, or he didn't get invited to dinner, and he threw a big fucking t- temper tantrum in the middle of the bullpen and threw a stapler <laughs> and quit <laughs> in a big man baby tantrum. <laughs> but wouldn't it just be nice if he did just say, you know what, I've got a really good job offer, a, a really good job offer. And I'm done. <laughs> um, Sentinel AUs tend to fall um, a certain way per fandom. Uh, it's always really interesting that, you know, Aaron Hotchner ends up being a, a Sentinel a lot, uh, that John's a Sentinel um, a lot. Now, but when I first started reading Sentinel crossovers in SGA, and for those of you, my I have my hand up in the air, and I have no idea why. I'm just, um, I had um, always read McKay was the Sentinel, and I was just I really wasn't on board with that, and I found Lady Holders um, unlikely and unwilling, and I was like, okay, yes, this is this is better. This is this is this is what I think is going to happen, and I often wondered um, if they didn't make Rodney the Sentinel at the start because. Um, because McKay is kind of an asshole in, in canon. But the thing is, is that if there is anybody more emotionally constipated than John Shepard, I don't know them on Stargate. I never understood how they thought he could be a guide. Well, yeah, I think Gibbs is emotionally constipated, too. Absolutely. Um, uh, and I just don't see that happening, either. Uh, just, what? No. They ended up. Um, the the only one I've ever seen where he's fragile. He's a, he's a fragile sentinel, and that's McKay, um, um, because of his allergies and and um, his his, and that was emotionally. Um, that was an emotional bloodletting. Very good story, um, but I much prefer to see um, John as the sentinel because I don't know. It's just it's just my preference, I guess. It's not. I don't, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
Gibbs has a boat where his emotional outlet should be. <laughs> a big unfinished boat in his basement. <laughs> I don't, you know, the fragile sentinel um, trope is is problematic because it slaps in the face of the of the purpose of the sentinel. Um, and I understand, you know, why, because they're saying that, you know, that a, mo- that a sentinel in a modern environment and how they might um, be difficult to, um, to, to manage because of their senses. But it seems to me that if that was a problem, there wouldn't be modern sentinels in an urban environment. You'd think so. I mean, just if you, if you follow that world building through to the end, um, uh, it would be a, more of an anomaly. Well, evolutionarily speaking, it 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 would have had to have fallen off. It it, it wouldn't have become prevalent. Um, Because if they can't function, they they can't protect the tribe, and that's their job. That's their duty. That's why they are what they are. So without that, if they don't... But then you can also say that these, um, that the issues of um, stability both physically and mentally, are the reason that guides evolved the way they did. That guides went from being simply a companion to being an empathic companion. Someone who could um, interact with their with their their sentinel on a mental, emotional, psionic level. That their evolution is a response to the sentinel's development in a modern world. And that maybe originally guides weren't empathic, and they didn't have these abilities, but they had to create, um, they had to evolve that way, so, so the sentinel could continue to do his job. But then the guide isn't actually canon either. Uh, it's, it's mentioned once, and it's not defined um, as to what that role would actually be. Um, but it's mentioned exactly once in Sentinel canon, um, the word guide. Uh, so, you know, all of that becomes a, a, a matter of fanon um, um, versus canon. Uh <clears throat> That Jim was only able to function when he had someone with him, like the shaman or Blair. Um, that without a guide, he was vulnerable. Or naked in a shower. You guys remember that episode? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but... It, yeah, he functioned in the in, in the jungle, but he has that shaman with him in the jungle. And after he was ripped away from that shaman, he went um he suppressed his gifts for a long time. 
So you can see where that fanon starts to develop um, and kind of spiral out from from canon events in in the Sentinel, um, and and how that it's just really you know it's a really interesting concept and in how um, the tropes kind of um, flowed out of of the small canon events. One of the biggest tropes that I have um, crutched on is the soulmate trope. And so I'm trying to get away from it because I've, I've been crutching on it and it, it's ridiculous. Um, I, I really enjoy that whole thing. And, and I, you know, I just, I keep crutching on it and I, don't, I, I need to stop. Seriously, stop. One of the more interesting um, tropes in the Stargate fandom is the alternate reality tropes, um, which um, have canon precedence, because we see alternate realities multiple times, um, and they even did an episode entirely in an an alternate reality, which is really interesting and a lot of fun. Um, I love soulmate tropes. I just got to stop putting them in everything. <laughs> it's ridiculous. They don't belong everywhere. It can be romantic. It can be very romantic and um, and lovely and um, and I really enjoy them. But like I said, I'm I'm doing it too much and I'm and I'm uh, I'm, I'm using it uh, basically as a crutch to create relationships and that's not cool. I don't think a soulmate, I don't think soulmates can hate each other. They might not want each other um, romantically and sexually, but the principle of a soulmate would be that if you hate your soulmate, you kind of hate yourself too. Stop looking in a mirror and saying, I hate you. (laughs) Really? That's what a soulmate is. It's the other half of your soul. So, if you if you hate your soulmate, then there's mental there's some mental damage there. I don't like triad soulmate bonds. I don't know why. Where they're all three soulmates. I don't I don't like it. I got I don't know why. Oh, you mean where you can have multiple the principle of a soulmate is is that um that you're basically two halves of the same whole. Um how many times has your soul been cut in half if you've got multiple soulmates? I think we've already explored how badly that could go with Voldemort. <laughs> I've always wanted to um, 
kind of step away from the soulmate part and like do maybe a kindred situation where they're not um, two halves coming together, which is Plato, um, but more along the lines of uh, two people who are very, very highly, highly compatible. I've always liked the the split apart, the Plato um, concept. I find it very interesting. Now, I got the name on your wrist or the first word. Um, I read, oh God, I read a heart wrenching um, story where. the soulmate you found your soulmate because of how of of what the last words they ever say to you are and thorns um on his wrist it it said um the, the eagles are coming and i was like oh god i can't read this and i shut it <laughs> i can't read it i can't read it <laughs> i can't go there <laughs> that main evil author, how could she do that? Because <laughs> those the last words that Thorne ever hears Bilbo say, and, and that's... Um, I couldn't read it. I, I'm just getting teary-eyed just thinking about it. Because <laughs> I've never watched all of the Battle of Five Armies because of that. I can't go there. I cannot go there. <clears throat> I've ever actually um, done one where Sentinels and Guides are soulmates. Uh, I'm not sure if I would. It, um, they've already got enough pressure. You don't need to add to it. <laughs> you don't need to add another layer of what the fuck to finding your partner in a Sentinel AU when there's already so much stacked against finding the right guide or the right Sentinel and to add a soulmate thing on top of that. Um, What I did in Darkly Loyal with the um, with the triad of Her- Hermione, Draco, and Harry was that they weren't um, soulmates; that they were um, um, that they had been linked to create stability um, by the Lord of Magic, uh, and the the implication being is that they would always find each other. But he hadn't made any kind of um, romantic um there were no romantic or sexual requirements in the, um in their triad magically that they would always be in in Harry's life one way or another once they were connected but um and they often did fall into romantic pairing uh, a, a romantic a pairing and then and, and then eventually a triad but it wasn't required it that wasn't part of the magic that drew them together Well, that's hard. That's terrible. I don't. I, I. I think it's really terrible to have the last words your soulmate ever says to you 
written on your fucking body somewhere. That that just seems so terrible. One of the more interesting ones I ever read about um, about soulmates was set set in the um, MCU, um, and it was about the red strings. I won't ever be able to hear the to see the phrase that the eagles are coming without getting a little teary out over that figure I didn't even read. <laughs> Slow down, Satan. What are you talking about? I don't even believe in the devil and I'm pretty sure it's the devil. But what it boils down to is that you don't know they're your soulmate until it's too late. This is the last words that Thorne ever hears Bilbo saying. It's because one of them is dying. That's the last thing Thorne ever hears him say. There's There's nothing left after that. Or Thorin is dying because Thorin is dying in, in in that particular instance. But one of them is, and that's just terrible. Uh, I'm a romantic at heart. <laughs> Don't try to placate me as, as you're going to work. <laughs> But we all know how Battle of the Five Armies ends. We all know. But, um... That's just really sad. That's just a a really sad twist on that. I... I, When you... For me, a, a soulmate AU is supposed to be about finding that one person who's going to make you happy and you're going to make them happy and everything is going to be okay and they're going to stand with you and, and be strong with you and um, and it's you against the it's it's you and her, him and her are against the world, you know, it's um But but to have it in such tragedy is is terrible. <laughs> it's super terrible. There are lots of things that didn't happen. Um, the epilogue didn't happen. The Battle of the Five Armies ended very well. Everybody lived. Nobody died. Terrible. Right, because it's already bad enough. It's, it's already sad enough. But let's just add another layer of sadness on it. Um, because not because because here's Thorin. He's dying, and he's gonna find his soulmate in the last seconds of his life. But more to the point, if this is common knowledge, Bilbo is going to eventually discover the words written on. Thorin's arm or hand or wherever and he's going to know the last words he ever said to Thorin so he's going to know that his soulmate is dead 
let's just add one more layer of terrible on the events of Battle of the Five Armies. Let's do that. Great. Thank you, writer. Thank you very much. (laughs) I'm sure it was beautiful. I just can't can't read it. One of the more interesting Everybody Lives one is the one where they all die. And and I only read it because they tagged it, Everybody Lives. I'm thinking, okay, something's going to happen, something's going to happen. Bilbo goes home to the Shire, and he plants his acorn. And he grows some durance. <laughs> Eventually, Thorin, Feely, and Keely all just pop right out of the ground. <laughs> That's how you plant a garden. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I'm gifted. I don't know. It wasn't. I was. I, I was on a binge of reading every, um, everybody lives stories, and um, that was the story. Uh, uh, the, the one of the stories that I had read, and it was a, a, a little short one. It, it wasn't anything long, and um, but it was it was very good and fun. Um, then I kind of spiraled into Cabbage Patch Babies, and <laughs> after that, I was done. There was no coming back from the Cabbage Patch Babies in the Hobbit fandom. I'm still stuck there. I don't know how you could say plant his acorn and it not sound um, dirty. It'd be more like plant the acorn. Doesn't sound dirty, but plant his acorn. Sounds filthy. <laughs> Cash Patch Babies is a really interesting twist on the male preg um, trope. Because uh, in the Hobbit fandom, it's mostly Bilbo planting a garden to have babies. Um, um, <clears throat> sometimes he does it with... Um, with a seed, and sometimes, like, that was one where he braided his hair, and Thorin had given him a lock of hair. Um, and in this one, Thorin didn't live, but it was, a, it was a Cabbage Patch Baby, so I read it anyway. Thorin had given him a lock of hair, and he braided his hair and Thorin's hair together. Um, and, um, and, he planted it in his garden and he took care of it and a boy he eventually you know harvested his baby and it was a boy and um this these this these comes to um the shire t- to see bilbo because uh of of what he had tried, you know, how how he tried to help her family and she sees the baby and she realizes that um that that he, that he belongs to Thorin as well and it's it's just really beautiful um <clears throat> but sad as well. Um he grew it in his garden just <laughs> Oh no, it's gr- 
right. It's fun. I have a beautiful one coming up called Bees on Her Feet, where, where Bella grows two babies in her garden. Um, more of an interesting male preg twist in the Hobbit fandom is where Thorin carves a child out of out of stone and and wishes it to live and prays for it to live to Mahal, and the boy wakes up and uh, the boy. Uh, wants to know where his other parent is and he eventually writes Bilbo and says hey you know what <laughs> you need to come visit <laughs> why haven't I ever met you and then Bilbo meets his son and he's furious because here's here's his kid and and uh Thorin didn't <laughs> didn't tell him he made a baby <laughs> it's it's really good um I'm sure that somebody will find a link. It's really, really good. It's really interesting. Um, I really enjoy the the garden babies. We'll call them garden babies. If you don't have, if you don't like cabbage patch babies, we can call them garden babies. I really, I really, really, really enjoy the garden babies. It's my favorite thing in the Hobbit fandom, bar none. Easily the best. Um, male preg twist ever. Yeah, Carving by Sunrider. Absolutely. It's awesome. I love it. <laughs> well, yeah, true. In Bees on Her Feet, Bella is growing her babies in a tulip patch. <laughs> Not a cabbage patch. <laughs> I want to read that one to Mad. I bet they were also guilty. <sighs> but I love garden babies. I like the one where he's growing the babies and um, his gardener him uh, his gardener comes along and asks if he can help. And he goes, no, i got to do this myself. <laughs> you know, it's my thing. And the gardener realizes that, you know, Bilbo's growing babies. And um, so he helps him um, gather all the stuff that he needs for, um, for the, the garden and... Um, uh, Eventually, the babies pop up, and, and one of them is during the deathless. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> You're not going to be able to keep that one a secret. But uh, baby making in the Hobbit fandom is always really interesting. Thank you, Demad. I really appreciate it. Uh, <clears throat> ritual babies in the Harry Potter fandom. Well, you know what? What it boils down to is it's writers who don't want to write male preg, but that want to give their characters babies. So they do garden babies or they do ritual babies, and that's their way around the whole male preg discussion. Cauldron babies. I'm, um, uh, cauldron babies? No. <laughs> that reminds me of Voldemort. <laughs> Cauldron babies. (laughs) 
you know, in the Harry Potter, um, Pettigrew throws baby Voldemort into the cauldron and big Voldemort pops out. <laughs> Without a nose. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure the baby had a nose either. <laughs> I did a really interesting thing about the nose in my James Potter fic um, about why Voldemort doesn't have a nose. Um, um, and it boils down to um, how he faked being a parcel mouth is that he joined his um, magic with the, snake, with, the, with the magic of a snake to gain the ability to speak to snakes. So he's a fake parcel mouth, yeah. Um, and what it boils down to in that particular world building was that who explains it to Harry is that it's a method that people use to um, develop um, beast speaking abilities. Unfortunately, Harry's very young, and there comes a point where he meets Umbridge, and he asks a deeply unfortunate question about Umbridge and frogs because <laughs> he can't figure out why she would do that. <laughs> It's great. It's funny. <laughs> I enjoyed it because he's, you know, he's a little kid, so he's going to ask questions like that. It's deeply unfortunate. <laughs> I like Ancient Baby Machine too. I, I like the Ancient Baby in, um, in in Stargate. I think that's a lot of fun. I have one where Rodney and John. Um, it's a work in progress, uh, get tricked into making a baby off-world, and they have to come back to get the baby out of the machine, and they don't know that there's a baby in the machine until it comes out. And the people on the planet are going to sacrifice their gift from the from the ancestors, and John's having none of that because he doesn't know if that kid's his, but he does know that kid's a, you know, a baby, and it kind of looks like him. <laughs> so he's going to take it, and he kills a whole bunch of people to um to get his baby off the planet. Um and it's his and Rodney's baby. Um, so. Yay, we bunny Jilly. But I love the whole ancient, one of the, but there is this one fic of Stargate that's oh, so tragic. Um, Atlantis wants children on the city and she starts to, the baby factory nursery thing and she makes babies with John and Rodney's DNA but she doesn't tell anybody and several of them die and she asks John how do you keep a baby alive and that's when they find out she has a whole bunch of incubators and she's got babies in them but they're failing to thrive because they don't have any human contact oh it was so Oh, it was powerful. It's a very powerful fic, and um, overwhelming and sad. And, and just... but you can see the the logic of the of the city. You know, she just wanted babies. She wasn't trying to be. You know, um, 
Very harsh. It's a very harsh fic. <laughs> I'm on sad fic probation. Well, do you want to finish doing the podcast then if I'm on probation? <laughs> It is heartbreaking. It is a heartbreaking fic. Um, and um, but you know, I also read a really good fic. It's male preg in the Stargate fandom, um, where Rodney gets hit with radiation and it makes him infertile, and him and Keller are about to get married, um, and John's off world and he comes across a machine, um, that will impregnate him, um, and he has uh. Rodney had cut himself, and he had some of Rodney's blood on, on a handkerchief in his pocket. And he doesn't have time to get anybody else, not even Taylor. Um, and so he gets in the machine, and he, um, he, he, he asks the machine for one of each, a boy and a girl. And then he hides it. He hides it and um, doesn't tell anybody. And then he gets freaked out because he almost, you know, Taylor almost hits him during a workout and almost hits the babies. And he gets all creeped out. What was really interesting is there's a point in the fic where um, it's been discovered that he's pregnant. And um, they're going, you know, they're they're in a meeting. And Woolsey automatically assumes that there's going to be an abortion and gets really kind of um, aggressive about it. And... Jennifer Keller is the one that comes to John's defense and says, you just can't decide that for him. You can't just decide he's going to have an abortion. Who the fuck do you think you are, right? I mean, she just, like, flipped her shit. And it was a really interesting um, characterization. Um, And later on, Jennifer realizes that that John is pregnant on purpose, that this wasn't an accident. Um, And she asked him, you know, why he didn't, um, that if it was, you know, in a roundabout way, she asked him why he didn't um, come get her so she could do it, and he had to tell her that there wasn't time. And it's called The Surrogate, and um, it's on Archive of Our Own. Um, and it's by Seeker Geek. It's awesome. I highly recommend it. It's a great fic. Um, and it's just, it's, you know, it's really interesting. Um, a really interesting take on male pregnancy. Because a lot of times in Stargate, male, the, the male pregnancy is um, done against their will. It's something that happens to them by accident because of a machine. Um, and they don't... Uh, and they end up keeping the baby regardless, but it wasn't something that was their choice. But this is John's choice. He um, he makes his choice um, for Rodney um, because whether he wants to admit it to him or not, he you know he he loves Rodney and and he wants to give Rodney what Rodney has lost in saving everybody's life. Rodney lost his ability um, to to have children, and so John wanted to give him that, and it's beautiful. Seeker Geek, highly recommended author across the board. Um, she'll tear your heart out. <laughs> but the failure to thrive fic with the babies in the machine, most of the babies do live, and John and Rodney do get together. And it's called Atlantis Observed. Lady Holder found it, and it's also on AO3. Um <clears throat> Yeah. <laughs> 
involuntary male preg though is the the common thread um in um that you see it's it's like it's not done on purpose which is why i thought surrogate was so interesting and i don't often read male preg and there was a time when i was vehemently opposed to male preg but i grew and, and and changed and developed as a human being um and it probably was Secret Geek's fault. I think Secret Geek was probably the first male preg that I read of my own free will. <laughs> so surrogate was probably my first, like, oh, yeah, that was, I did, I used to. I used to, I used to be vehemently opposed to male preg, and then, and then Secret Geek wrote surrogate, and I was like, well, shit, girl, <laughs> now I'm going to have to read this. And so I read it, and I was like, damn, <laughs> I actually like that. This sucks. <laughs> but it was really good. It was really good. I love that term, decant. <laughs> like he's a fine wine, they just pop out as a teenager. That's great. Decant. Oh, that'd be terrible. Oh. I, there was also um, a story in Stargate where John fathered a baby with tear. The the woman in the di- the time dilation field, and when she ascended, she was pregnant, and she brings the baby to John on Atlantis, because she ascended, the baby didn't, and so she brings the baby to John. Um, And that was really interesting. I think that was McKay Shepard, too, because at the time I probably was only reading McKay Shepard. So, you know, likelihood that it wasn't. Hello. 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 So, am I getting sucked into this thing? <laughs> Sorry, I, I got sucked in. I was, I was, I, I, I opened a baby sick, and and it kind of grabbed my attention there for a second. <laughs> she wasn't even listening to my podcast. Do you hear these bits? Do you hear this? She's reading. Uh, well, <laughs> you brought up you brought up a trope I actually like. Damn it. <laughs> People put up fucking links. <laughs> yes, beautiful lifetime event. There's the there's the damn link. <laughs> All right, I'll take corner time. But okay, so what's up? <laughs> I was just um, honestly, my voice is getting a little tired, and I was like, well, I got forty minutes left, okay. and so someone needs to talk to me. <laughs> okay. So tropes, things that things that you get sucked into um, and you don't realize it. Oh my God! Um, 
when I first started writing, I didn't realize how many I'd absorbed. Um, and some of the ones I did not agree with, uh, Rodney being a raging asshole combined with having a yellow streak a mile wide, that one I never agreed with. You realize that also was, was supposed to be canon because they, um, the, the, the producers and, and everybody over in uh, Atlantis were of the opinion that you know, he was a coward. And I'm thinking, anybody who stands in front of a wraith with a handgun and, and shoots two full clips into him and then goes, now what do I do, instead of turning tail and run, is not a coward. You know, that's, that's somebody who's got balls. He's just I, never had any reason to use them some that way. some people equate expressing fear with cowardice. Um, and being yeah. brave is not, is not the absence of fear. Being brave hmm. is is acting despite your fear. Yes, it's getting up and doing it despite how scared out in your mind you are. You know, um, the some of the tropes that I've seen where, you know, um, John never does his his uh, paperwork. I don't, that's a minor, minor trope, but it is still one that shows up everywhere. At, at his level of rank in the military, there's no way on God's green earth that man would be able to get away with it. Um, okay, I'll call it a cliche as well, Julie. Um, well, I think that's a canon-driven cliche because there's that scene yeah. in that fucking episode that I only watched the one time where Ronan, um, where John tells Ronan that he'd have more rank if he wasn't lazy. I'm done. Right. <laughs> uh-huh. Done. Done. Yeah, that's not happening. It's like, now, I, can, I want I to check the writer and say, do you have any fucking clue how ambitious you got to be to be a goddamn pilot in the Air Force? Uh-huh. Yeah. All I can think of is if they'd put the word perceived that he's perceived to be lazy. You know, um, Even that, that might fly, have been a little bit more... lazy asses in the, in the hot no. seat of a fucking black hawk. Nope. Condemned. It was in the episode Condemned. <clears throat> yeah, it was ridiculous. Uh, some of the... Some, you mentioned my... Uh, my my reversal of who gets to be the sentinel in um, the the unlikely and the unwilling. I just I had read I had finished the, the the fragile sentinel verse and I'd hit my I'll be damned point at that point. I'd read so many Rodney's so fragile. He's so you know he's he's he, he needs his well be you know and I like it's just I'm done done done. You know, I, I want somebody who takes all of the raging asshole um, parts of of, um, of Rodney and all of his intelligence and all of his strength and makes it work for him and has a finger up for the, the universe and it's not his pointer finger, it's the middle. And is saying, fuck you, do it all. I'm doing this on my own. I'm doing this under my terms. You know, um, and I wanted a John who he knew what he wanted. He wanted to fly. That was the be all, end all. That was his ambition. 
You know, his his life was up in the sky. And he'll take what he has to deal with and deal with it just so that way he can get those, you know, hour, two, three, four stretches where he's up in the sky and he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to deal with people. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, um, that was the thought process behind that one. You know, I didn't, I was tired of, you know, kind, sensitive John in touch with his feelings. No, <laughs> you're right. The guy is so damn complicated. It's ridiculous. You know, really? The the chances of, of, of you know, of John Shepard going up to, to Rodney McCain going, how are you feeling today, Rodney? Are you okay? Would you like to go and have some time out in, in a nice clean room for to you know balance your senses? Dude, no, just not happening. So not happening. You know, this is the guy who, when Rodney stuck a little green brooch on his chest that gave him a shield, he shoved him off a balcony. <laughs> That's not a kind, sensitive man. You don't aim a gun and shoot him either. Here is my version of John as a guide. Okay, he's doing his job. He's running around the city. All of a sudden, he hears, feels this, this stupid amount of, of, of anger coming from his sentinel. He turns his radio on. McKay, stop being an asshole. Turns the radio off. <laughs> goes about his business. That's John Shepard as a guy. Stop being an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> or he flicks over the, the channel to, to um, Raddick and goes, what color is his face now? Oh, it's pink. Okay, he's fine. <laughs> All right, toodles. Okay. Let me know when it gets to purple. <laughs> you know, that's that's a John I could understand being, you know, a guide. You know, I could I could see, um, you know, John looking at somebody, you know, uh, you know, one of his superior officers, as Rodney's ranting and raving. If he was a sentinel, and you know, the superior officer going, "Why aren't you calming him down?" John's going, "It's funny. What's the problem?" Oh, he's not really mad. This is no, all just—he's just having a good surface stuff. He's not even—he's yeah. not, he's not even remotely upset with you. <laughs> this isn't him yeah. mad. You've never no. seen him mad. There aren't even any nuclear oh, in the room yet. <laughs> We're fine. Yeah. Yeah. There's. Um, the whole, the, 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 the tropes with John and Rodney, they're, they're a big one. Um, the thing with, uh, with Blair and Jim and the Sentinel, I, I actually read a lot of those. What? I don't understand where the whole Blair is a pansy comes from. Um, During the first episode, honestly, I do. He fights off Carrius with a fucking soda machine. I know, but here's the thing: remember the time period that this was. This was this was when you know, um, you know, the manly men routine. Okay, and 
you know, it's it's. I think it was the early '90s, anyhow, or mid '90s. But you know, it was. It wasn't. Um, you didn't have. You didn't have the guys who who were um, in touch with their feminine sides, or at least you didn't overtly. And you know, Blair, you know, he got all big eyed, and he, he his eyes glistened with tears a couple times, and he was empathetic with their with the victims, and you know, he knew how to type, and yes, he was raised by a hippie, and and you know, he he was all these he had earrings on, you know, therefore he was girly. I want to slap yeah, all I these didn't bitches. Get that one either. Yeah, I didn't get that one either. You know, and all I could think of is they really missed a whole bunch of shit, didn't they? You know, because you know he they 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 overlooked the fact that yeah, the guy doesn't use a gun per se, but he's the guy who has enough situa- situational awareness to realize that. All these things around him are potential weapons. You're right. He used a vending machine and tipped it on somebody. He smacked somebody in the face with the bathroom door stall or the stall uh, door for bathroom. You know, it, it, really? That's not somebody who's going to sit there and whimper as they get handcuffed. You know? Um, yeah. Uh, I think they feminized him more liberal. than just emotionally. I mean, because if you think about um, some of the stories that came out of the Sentinel fandom during that time period, um, um, Blair is treated like a woman. And that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a level of internal misogyny that's astounding considering most, you know, truthfully, most fanfiction writers are female. Yep. Yeah, there's there's that scene. Um, I think it's at the end of this at the first episode where he's pointing. I don't remember if it was a um, flare gun or if it was an actual gun at uh, the guy in the helicopter and commented that he'd flown helicopters before. Somebody did. I think it was. I think it was Bogast um, did a not Bogast. Um, Paul Bywater. Beg pardon. Who did a story um, about that? And it was, it was yeah, it and there's a, and there's out. a tape. Yeah, mm-hmm. he actually was in the army for education, mm-hmm. and he did, and he, and, and he really did fly, fly helicopters. And there was a videotape of of some yep. reporter, embedded reporter, and he was on Blair's helicopter, and people on Major Crimes got to see it. It was like a TV yep. documentary or something. Yeah, I, I remember that one, and I, I got it know, somewhere. I wish that that was a um, past. Thing, but we see the we see feminization of gay characters in fan fiction mm-hmm. written today. Oh yeah, yeah. There's there's the whole thing that happens to Tony. You know, there's. Um, well, what's really interesting is I've read some really old Kirk Spock Slash, which is basically the grandfather pairing of, of Slash, and you don't mm-hmm. see that feminization. In the old stuff, but you see it in some of the new stuff, and I'm like, what the fuck? Because Kirk Spock fandom used to be hardcore. I mean, and then, um, mm-hmm. then, then 
slowly this feminization started to take place, mostly with Kirk's character. Um, I'm thinking, what, 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 why, yeah, what, what is this? The mainstreaming of fanfic. Um, and I, and, you know, and honestly, it, it probably um, there, there's a mixture of um, one of them has to be the woman because a lot of women write fit, um, slash pick, and they think that they're trying to inject that femininity into the relationship because they assume that it's required. It's not. Well, that might be how they. It's not the only way they can relate to it. I also, which is okay. You know, it's um, – Oh, you I've know what, Matt, also, I think that's really not – you can't. Because when you when you look at some of this explicit sex being written, it is not being written by teenage girls or even tweens. This is being written by grown-ass women. It's not um, it's not it's not being written by little girls or young boys. This is being written by women in their 40s and 50s and 60s. In fact, I think if you want to find very young writers, you need to go over to Harry Potter and fanfiction.net because that's where they are. They're in um they're in anime, yeah. they're in Harry Potter, they're in Bandom, but they're not in Star Trek and Stargate and um the Sentinel. That's that's where the, that's that's where us old ladies are and and we're the ones to blame for that shit. Not me personally because I don't write that shit, but um now you can now you can find um very young writers pretty easily. More often than not, they've got a penis going into another penis. That just doesn't work. Um, <laughs> they don't know what sex really is. And I mean, you can I mean, you can pick out a young writer, but I can't I can't think of a single time where I've found a obviously very young and mature writer in um in Star Trek. These are old ladies with a lot of internalized misogyny and um, very defined, um, ingrained gender roles um, um, hammered into their brains. And apparently a lot of them have their opinion that even in a gay relationship, one of them has to be the woman. Mm-hmm. That's why, like, if you go over to Area 52... Was it 53? Yes. 51? Mm-hmm. And you go through their warnings. There's actually a warning for bottom Jack. Jack O'Neill. Oh, like if you yeah, write Jack that. at the bottom, they need to be warned for that shit. I am never warning for that shit. <laughs> you know, there's there's a thing I just I Googled. I Googled fanfic tropes. And this is ridiculous. I should not have done this. But um, so, Jesus, some of the things in here. Um, I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised uh, for that. Uh, Jill, I remember there's a huge list. Seeing a conversation um, take mm-hmm. place um, where. Um, it was implied throughout the conversation by more than one person that the bottom in a gay sex pairing is weaker. Oh, I can't put so-and-so in a, a weak role. 
I can't make Jack. Oh. I can't make Jack O'Neill weak. I can't make Jack O'Neill submissive and weak. Uh-huh. Number one, being on bottom does not equal submission. And number one, taking a yep. dick doesn't equal weakness. But number two, yeah, both number ones. They're both number ones because <laughs> they're, they're both equally yep. important. And it, but that is really, really prevalent. Huh. Didn't realize I'd written it. Uh, this was an actual trope. College AU. I've done one of those. <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah, I did. Okay. Live and learn. That one was just because, you know, hey, I wanted to make it so that way everybody got together a lot earlier. You know? And then I realized I aged it up because I, I kind of wanted things like, yes, yes, uh, Zan, that, that's the one. Um, you know, where I wanted everybody to have cell phones and stuff. It's really annoying. It's it's really annoying and it's very prevalent, um, and 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 you can't even. I mean, it's it's not even. So I want to ask these bitches: Does that mean that you're weak? Because you're the one taking the dick at home. Uh huh. I actually had a Facebook acquaintance um, that I unfriended and blocked because. Sorry. <laughs> Loud ass typing. My I'm sorry. <laughs> um, um, I unfriended and blocked this person on Facebook because they were complaining to me about me um, writing Harry Potter and um, well, they were complaining about Darkly Lowell and how I should have made it just Harry and Hermione because um, they'll never be able to see Harry um, being so weak as to be gay. I have never unfriended somebody so fast in my life. And I'm including all the Trump supporters <laughs> that I unfriended two years ago. <laughs> I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Unfriend and block. Like, immediately. It was just like, I didn't even want to have a conversation with this person ever again, because I'm done. It was a dude, by the way. Who... Uh, um, uh, and, um, of course, he immediately went over to Zara Azkaban to complain about me. <laughs> it's really funny to Aww. watch that homophobe complain with with the other gay guy that I, ban- <laughs> that I blocked on Facebook. <laughs> I'm like, I want to oh, write him and say, dude, do you know that you're complaining and male bonding with a raging homophobe? I haven't, but I want to. <laughs> uh-huh. They've bonded over their um, rejection, of my rejection of them. It's ridiculousness. So, I, I, I was in the middle of actually writing Dr. Lil during that, um, or maybe just starting a nano. So the first chance mm-hmm. I got, I had um, um, Hermione just peg the fuck out of Harry, literally. Just so you know... I'm 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 wondering around Sandler and give them a dick in that story. Like fuck it, Her- Hermione's getting a dick too. <laughs> hey, more it, more fun to share. Um, 
Sandlore has on their their uh, wiki for, for tropes, it has time travel. Interium, interium. I don't know how to pronounce that. It's in there. It's under the Stargate Atlantis one for time travel. Interim. Yeah. It's really? There. Did they say something terrible about me? Because I normally do. No. Well, this was just an example. Now I click on it and go. It's just my, it's just my boyfriend Link. Mm-hmm. Called me surprised. <laughs> hey, whatever works. Um, I really enjoyed writing Iterum. I I also like sneaking the other characters in, and um, I was like, that's gonna be so much fun because because when I thought of it when I was plotting, I was like, oh, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make these two, these three too, but they won't know about it. <laughs> It'll be a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> it totally was a surprise. I really enjoyed that. I, I really enjoyed that um, that surprise um, time travel part at the end where the reader finds out and John and Rodney find out that they aren't alone. That um, that they have um, these these people who've gone back in time with them, um, and that you know both Miko and Evan were you know making their way to the SGC too, just like John and Rodney were mm-hmm. um, from. A very young age, and they were all trying to get there to do the right thing. Um, and um, even when they realized they weren't quite where they were supposed to be, they were still trying to get there. And so I, I really enjoyed were, that. Um, go ahead. They still had to be there. There were still things that they needed to do. There were still they couldn't they couldn't let it slide. It, and that's just yeah. It's really uh, I like to to push characters um, towards goodness, even when they're doing terrible things, mm-hmm. like in um, Darkly Lowell. Okay, no matter how satisfactorily they're acting, for once, it, I mean that 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 phrase "greater good" just you know really does give one the highs um, because of what it, it it what connotations it has, but. In that, they're they're basically excising a cancer. They're and just taking out the trash. It's bloody and it's <laughs> yeah, basically. It's bloody literally. and it's horrible. <laughs> yes, and it's it's not something you know that you're you're going to be you know um, ecstatic about doing while you're doing it, but at the end of the day, the body lives on in a much more healthy manner. In this case, it's magic that's the body. Without that cancer removed. It kills it, and that's not a good thing. During the posting of um, Drogly Lul, and I forget who, it, it might have been Jilly, um, messaged me and said, God, your readers are really bloodthirsty. <laughs> totally would not surprise me. <laughs> I was like, yeah, they kind of are. Isn't it great? Isn't it great? It's great. Hey, I was happy every time the same uh, I'm with Megan. I was really happy every time the counter went up. Yay. You know, it was awesome. My favorite part of Dr. Lowell is the scoreboard. Uh-huh. Dobby and Winky's scoreboard is, is, is my favorite part.
<laughs> yeah. So yeah, it got pretty it got pretty bloody and harsh and and I can't wait mm-hmm. for somebody to go, "Oh, wow, sure, you you piled off the deep end." No one did. <laughs> um I think part of the reason is is most of the people who um most of the people who died in there I didn't have a problem with them dying. I mean, if if you'd gone and you'd you'd killed um uh Pomfrey you know, um, the, 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 the school nurse, if you'd killed, um, if you'd killed Flitwick, I'd have had a problem. Okay. <laughs> well, the story's not over yet. <laughs> Just well, this saying. is true. And I don't know what you've got planned, but you know, it... <laughs> you see my kill list. <laughs> well, yeah, this is true. I have, but you know, I'm, I'm. I miscounted people, because I forgot to count Voldemort's kill. <laughs> it happened off screen. I forgot to count him when when he killed Lucius. Mm-hmm. Oh well, yeah. I forgot the Dark Lord. It's pretty bad in in Dark Lord when when it boils down to the fact that. Tom Riddle is kind of an is is an underachiever compared, <laughs> and he's literally almost an afterthought to them. Like, okay, yeah, we're gonna go kill him in a minute. Hold on, <laughs> let me get rid of this asshole first because damn. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, hold on a minute, Tom. I have to kill Flamel first because this is some shit. You just take your turn. You just sit over there in the corner. I'll come get you in a minute. Wait, wait, wait a second. <laughs> no, wait a second. Better yet, cause, um, cause shit got real. <laughs> I, I come come back next Tuesday. I've got an hour free then. We can work you in. Oh yeah, that, that's another that's another have, that, that I guess I have you could say. considered um, something really, really hilariously drastic in Dracula Law. I have it written down as an option, and I'll share it with you. Um, Harry told Winky and Dobby that they could kill all the Death Eaters. Oh, all the marked Death Eaters. Yes. All the marked Death Eaters. But they're eventually going to run right out of those. And there's going to be a Death uh-huh. Eater left, even if he's not marked. And it could become something like, well, you know, I thought it was better to ask for forgiveness than permission. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's going to be that's going to be Winky. Really? Oh, I, was, I was really... I was really seriously considering um, um, having Dobby throw him in a volcano, <gasps> and and he and and him coming to Harry and saying, "Master Harry, I need the Horcruxes." <laughs> Why do you need the Horcruxes? Because I've thrown Tom Riddle in a volcano, and he might come back. So I need the Horcruxes, please. Thank you. <laughs> 
pretty goes and tosses him in the volcano. <laughs> you realize at that point, Hermione's going to look like, at them and just... The one ring. Uh, he's gonna total. Oh, he's yeah. gonna totally front back is that whole thing. <laughs> Meanwhile, remotely um previously considered to be an active volcano recently exploded today, <laughs> erupted today. <laughs> Damage was relatively minor. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that would definitely be previously something. unnamed. Cur- currently, the the leading um, contender for a new name for the volcano is Mount Doom. <laughs> More at six. <laughs> uh, oh, oh! But then I was like, then I thought it'd be really funny. Early on, when I was first writing it, um, I hadn't picked out a volcano for Dobby to use, and Harry uh-huh. hadn't asked. And in my plot, I had this little this little side shoot kind of subplot where um, Harry asked Dobby about the volcano, and Dobby was like, "Well, I was worried about evidence, and so I decided to." use a volcano somewhere else and Harry's like what do you mean somewhere else and Dobby's like on another planet <laughs> I, was looking at, I, was, I was like volcanoes in the solar system <laughs> but then I was like no 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 I don't, need to, I don't need to go to the crack place. But I was tempted to go to a crack place and, like, him just be, you know, tossing um, Death Eaters into a volcano on Venus or something. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, Venus is probably the closest one with an active volcano. <laughs> it was six years, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there, there's been at least one. Um, oh, Iceland. Iceland has a couple that have gone off recently. Ish. Nineteen ninety six. Oh no! <laughs> I'm right now. Now we know why. Oh, that's too late because um, it's ninety seven by the time they get finished killing everybody. Well, there's Hawaii has plenty. Unless you know he's going back in Hawaii. time. Hmm. Um. <clears throat> But no, you know, it was just really funny. It, it amused me that he that he might be tossing them um, into a volcano. We don't need to mess with Dobby's god worship. Hephaestus is involved. <laughs> He's doing some sacrifices. It has to be a volcano. You know, here's here's the thing. You know, I'm pretty sure that if there are any other gods beyond Zer. You know, they're getting this first influx of of worship in, you know, a thousand or more years. What has Dobby unleashed? (laughs) What hasn't Dobby unleashed? Yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) Dobby would be an excellent one to send back in time. What if, in the original canon, when Dobby is killed... He appears before Zir, and Zir says, Dobby, 
I don't like what's going on on there. How would you like to help me fix it? And Dobby would be like, I'd do anything for Master Harry Potter. I know you would, Dobby. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Just don't break his arm this time. I think it would be really interesting if, if Dobby went back in time. With probably with a very explicit set of instructions. <laughs> like, okay, Dobby, sit down. <laughs> We're going to have to have a long discussion about what you can and cannot do. And who you can and cannot you know, kill. What would, be, <laughs> what would be really interesting is if he gave him a list and Dobby's got this scroll that he's going through and he's going through the list. Okay, I've... I've gone through that. No, no, no. Okay. And, you know, and he goes off and does that next thing on the okay. list. Okay. I've cursed the shit out of Vernon Dursley. Check. <laughs> okay. Let's see. Um, the piggy tail is permanent. Destroyed on... The recipe for lemon drops. Check. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Made Dumbledore look like lemons. Pig- Oh, make him make him want to wear sober and boring clothes. Check. <laughs> He's allergic to yeah, color. He would, need, he would he would need an explicit set of instructions. <laughs> oh yeah, actually, I could see Lucius actually trying to rock the bald. No, what he does is he makes he makes his hair. He gives him the the blonde Dob- version of Dobby, the, the the Potter lock, which is Dobby switches hair with Snape and Lucius. <laughs> Snape, gets, <laughs> Snape gets Lucius's hair, and Lucius gets Severus Snape's hair permanently. Is it the greasy, dirty locks. Oh yeah, that would go over interestingly. <sighs> Narcissus would be up in front of the whistle not. I need a divorce. <laughs> Look at him. Uh-huh. I can't do anything with this. <laughs> but I'll oh, give even him red better hair. to make it red. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, curse Dumbledore to tell the truth. Check. Absolutely. Uh-huh. But you know, you know, honestly, it it would be really interesting to send a house elf back in time. Maybe not Dobby because Dobby is a little unstable. But to send um to send someone Winky? um well, I don't know about Winky because she's kind of unstable too. She's a drunk. Um, but you can make your well, own original really character. They're both really unstable. You can make your own original okay. character. Um, maybe somebody uh maybe a house elf that died with the Potters. Who okay. has been watching this old with Zir, um, and she or he asks if they can go back um, in time and fix this because so much terrible things have gone wrong, and Zir was would be like, okay, because a house Let's of give it a world in the magical world is is largely ignored. Dumbledore doesn't even uh, know Dobby visits. Um, I could do Star 
or maybe um mm-hmm. maybe Star died at uh at Potter at the Potter Manor with um during an attack or something. It'd be really interesting to take a character like Star, um, who's probably my mm-hmm. favorite house elf character I ever created, and have her go back, um, ha- knowing all that she does, and um, have her just fix it. Because Dumbledore would never see her coming. He never knows that Dumbledore no. was in the house in canon. He has no ability whatsoever to keep track of Dobby at Hogwarts. And if he assumes well, Star does. is dead, and he would, he would never even think to look for her. Well, nobody would look look for her. She's she's a house elf. She is lower than the furniture in some of those people's eyes. The furniture, at least, is right. kept track of. It's entailed. Well... Creature is actually um, Sirius's mother lives into the mid '80s, so Creature would still be alive. Um, but if you took a character that you made of your, of your own, like a house elf of, of your own design, um, and had them die with either the older Potters or maybe even die in the house in in in, in Godric's Hollow, trying to defend the Potters, um, she wouldn't be missed. And when she came back in time, she wouldn't have some bond forced on her. Because if Creature went back in time, he'd still be bonded to Walberga, ever how you say her name. Mm-hmm. Well, here's another part of it um, to think about also. With the sealing of the will, if, um, if the Potters did what would be relatively logical for somebody when, when you have servants you want to make sure that they're taken care of um, with the, the will seal there's nobody to look there's nobody to know that you know the servant that we had you know should have gone to because I would fully expect that that elf would know that that Sirius was, was innocent well there are a couple ways to do it either she goes back in time or she never dies to begin with and she's there the whole time, manip- manipulating the Dursleys, keeping Dumbledore in the dark. Mm-hmm. But I like the idea of, of her being up there with Zier and watching all this unfold and seeing all this tragedy ha- happen to to um, Harry and going, you know what, I can we do something about this? Because this is, look, he's in this terrible marriage with this ugly-haired and girl. <laughs> this is not what I had planned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not yeah. what I'm shipping. <laughs> Nobody ships this. <laughs> Anyways, we're down to a minute. Um, I think it'd be really fun to, to do a trope drift and to take a trope and kind of like Julie said in the chat room, turn it on, on its head. And so since it was her idea, she can do the first one and we'll set that up and it'll be in the schedule. Um, we're down to 30, 42 seconds. Let her say goodnight. Okay. Good night.